Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 660. I guess I would say I, I only raced to win. You know, I never raced to just be there. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jump start a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jump start any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Bobby Rahal. Hey, Bobby, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Yeah, I'm I'm ready. Okay, you're ready. (laughs) I'm ready. Uh, Asking you if you're buckled up seems like a redundant uh, question here. Very (laughs) good to have you here. Bobby Rahal is the co-owner of Rahal Letterman Lanigan Racing in Hillard, Ohio and Brownsburg, Indiana. He worked his way up through the racing ranks, starting with SCCA's feeder series in Formula Atlantic, then to European Formula 2, and during his 18-year career spanning F1, Can-Am, Le Mans, IMSA, and CART, Bobby notched three CART championships, including a win at the 1986 Indy 500. He won the 1981 24 Hours of Daytona, the 87 12 Hours of Sebring. With 264 racing starts and five teams, he took 18 poles and scored 24 wins, including back-to-back CART championships. Today, Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing has won races in CART, Champ Car, the IndyCar Series, the Indy Racing League Indy Lights, and the America Le Mans Series. So, Bobby, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about your history in racing. Would you take a brief moment to share maybe a little bit more about your career, your business, and your passion for automobiles before we get into the questions? Well, sure. I think probably my passion is, uh, is, uh, has, uh, certainly, it was certainly continues to this day, but it started probably in the late fifties, early sixties when I was a young boy. Uh, my father raced SCCA as a, as a hobby. So my summer's Growing up, were uh, shared between little league baseball and uh, going racing with my dad. You know, and as many people know, SCCA, particularly at that time, very much a family sport. So you, would, everybody would go off and you know go to Elkhart Lake or go to Mid Ohio or Indianapolis Raceway Park or any number of places in the Midwest where my father used to race. And and um, it, it really became you know, for us a family effort. Sure. And uh, you know, in, in my family, you know, my I never. Never once did I ever think that I would I would drive, let alone 
uh, drive professionally because in my family, you know, unlike maybe the Andretti's or the Unser's where it was really looked upon as a family business in many respects, mm-hmm. for my family, it was, you know, you went, got your education, and if by chance you had a good enough job that paid for the racing, then maybe you could do it that way. Mm. So my goals uh, when I first started racing in, in 1973 were very humble. You know, very, while I had, thanks to my father's racing, we had raced at Sebring in 69, 70, 71, and also at Watkins Glen in the, in the world championship, six hour races. And so I got to see, you know, the world's best drivers at that time driving and always kind of thought, wow, you know, that must be great, you know, to be a professional driver. Yeah. I, I never thought for a moment I would be one. And, wow. um, but, you know, things just kind of happened, and uh, there was no grand plan. It just kind of uh, one success, success led to another. And, and when I graduated from college in 1975, I thought, well, you know, what's one year out of my life? Let's see how far we can go. And uh, <laughs> Never look back. That was now 40 years ago, I believe, a little over 40 years ago, which is, is hard to believe. Uh, yeah, most definitely. And you've taken that kind of family affair forward because in your team now, your son Graham is one of your team drivers, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. you know, Graham was different than, than me in the sense that, you know, I had been a professional driver. He grew up in that atmosphere. And anybody who knew Graham when he was five years old would tell you that they're not surprised to see him where he is today. It was very, very clear growing up, as Graham was growing up, that, you know, he wanted to drive, he wanted to race. Yeah. And, uh, you know, where, which I was, I was pleased in the sense that, you know, I never pushed him. I never said, oh, you should drive or let's go go-kart racing and see if you like it. He was the one who kind of dragged me along somewhat reticently because I, I really didn't want him to, to feel like he had to live up to something that, uh, you know, that, to some example, I really thought it better for him to, to kind of create his own footprints. Right. Uh, I, I didn't worry about that because while my dad had some success in SECA, I mean, let's face it, it was very different right. than what I achieved later on. So uh, I was not supportive of Graham, but um, he was, uh, you know, he made it very clear that uh, as to what he wanted to do. And if there's one thing that he is, he's, uh, you know, he, he, when he makes a, a commitment to something, he is absolutely dedicated to it, and which obviously uh, is made clear by the success he's had today. Oh, absolutely. Well, you must be extremely proud. And as I mentioned when in our pre-show chat, we were talking and saying how really blessed and fortunate you are to have, have a son that you're able to work with and um, be part of your business and your career and, and watch mm-hmm. him achieve. Wow, that must be absolutely fantastic. Being a, a father myself, I can only really imagine must be great. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guest for a success quote or some kind of mantra or saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your career and your success. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Bobby, take the wheel. I, I guess I would say I, I only raced to win. Hmm. You know, I never raced to just be there. To me, either you, you, if you were there, you were there to win or, you know, what's the point? Right. And, um because racing is hard. Racing is hard. It's a difficult life. It's a difficult, especially coming up. You know, there's a lot more um, failure than there is success. It takes tremendous you know, commitment and dedication. And so if, if you're going to make that, that kind of commitment, you make it on the pretense that you're only there to, you know, you're going to do everything you can to win any race you get into. Right. You know, you're not going to win them all. That's just, that's just the simple truth. 
but you know, I was never interested in racing just to be there, mm-hmm. you know, just to participate. You know, to me, it was all about winning. It was all about being competitive. If I were to say anything, it would just be that I was, I was always in it to, my own, my only thought was, how am I going to win this yeah. race this weekend? Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, that's kind of what drove me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's uh, the only way to go into every race. Fantastic. Well, let's go back in time a little bit. You talked about your dad being a, uh, a racer, raced a bit in SCCA, but I'd love to go back to that point in time that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment when you look back when you're a young man or even a little boy when you really realize, oh, you know what, I am a car guy? Well, I don't know of any one given moment, but I will tell you that probably around 1962 or three, I was nine, ten years old. We lived in a little town outside of Chicago. Uh, about 20 miles west of Chicago. And, um, and you know, uh, first off, the 60s was just an amazing decade for cars, let alone racing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of, if you look back at that decade and you look at cars that came on the market in 1916 and look at it 10 years later or nine years later, whatever the case may be, I mean, it's it just a, a tremendous revolution. And, and, of course, there was, you know, there was social revolution going on at the time. There was all kinds of things. We had a young man that that um, that lived with us who was ten years older than I. He his parents had been transferred to the West Coast, and he he was out of high school, wanted to stay with his friends, so he lived with us, and he really became like a big brother to me. Mm-hmm. And because my dad had the race car, all you know, this young guy and all his buddies would come down, and they, they kind of had a makeshift crew <laughs> with all these guys, and they all hung around and. You know, there was the era of Jan and Dean and the Beach Boys and, you know, oh, 409. Yeah. I mean, go through all the hey, Little Deuce Coop, you know, Hey Little Cobra, you know, all the music. I mean, it was just an amazing time. And so I'm 10 years old and, and, you know, and I'm just like a sponge. And, you know, I was always into the cars, even in the late fifties. My dad had a Triumph TR2 and then you had an Alfa Romeo Coupe and cool. various other things. But probably, probably by the time I was 10 or 11 is when you really started to get a, a feel for it all. Yeah. And, and, a, and a real interest. So I look back at that period of time as a time that it really lit the spark for me. Sure. And, um, you know, we would go racing. They'd take me, uh, these guys would take me. It was right out of American Graffiti. You know, we cruised <laughs> down the, the Roosevelt Road and outside of Chicago. And there was a, a place everybody hung out at to get, you know, sodas and, you know, milkshakes and, you know, you name it. It was right out, like I said, it was right out of out of American graffiti. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, so I, I grew up in that, around that atmosphere, in that atmosphere. And, and that's what really um, stoked my desire, uh, my passion for automobiles and racing. And I, uh, you know, uh, as I say, that, that was it. And you then, were of course, bit. as you get older. Yeah. Yeah, I was bit. Oh, yeah. I was big time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I feel very lucky that, you know, my dad raced again. Uh, he started in probably 1958 and really kind of stopped in 77 or so. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but really all through the six, you know, all through my teenage years, uh, you know, again, I had the good, we'd go to Elkhart Lake for the Can-Am or go to Elkhart or Watkins Glen or Sebring or any number of different types of races. You know, you watch the Trans-Am, the Can-Am, Formula 5000, World Endurance. Uh, I mean, you name it. It was an amazing decade in the sport of motor racing, and I just feel very fortunate to have been a part of that. Yeah, it was a magical time for sure. Well, I want to take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. Now, you chose a career in racing. It evolved into this amazing career in racing. 
But that kind of a lifestyle and career is fraught with huge challenges and big failures, ups and downs, roller coaster rides. As you say, you're only as good as your next race and the next win. Yep. So I'd love for you to take us to a point in time that really you faced a huge challenge, maybe a big failure where you went, gosh, this is close to just being too hard. Why am I doing this? But yeah. walk us through that. But the most important part of these well, times is how you overcame it. What did it teach you so you can yeah. move on? Well, you know, I think that the, <laughs> there were a couple times this happened. It wasn't just once. I mean, in 1975, which was my first year of pro racing in front of Atlantic, I was, the, the, the main young um, protagonist for me and Jill Villeneuve. Ah. And, and I, was, I was faster than Jill every race. My first race, pro race, I was second on the grid. The next one, I was on pole. You know, I mean, it, 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 in terms of sheer pace, it was, it was quite good. And at yeah. the end of the year, um, you know, we had, we had, I think it was only six or eight races. We had a number of DNFs from mechanical failures and what have you, but, but, you know, the, 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 the pace was there. And the next year, uh, it was, I went to drive for the works March, which is a manufacturer of Formula Atlanta cars, amongst others. Mm -hmm. Uh, the March team, which Doug Shearson owned here in, in uh, Michigan. Doug was a wonderful guy, great friend. And, you know, being the works team, he was the importer. We thought, wow, this is going to be the year to break out. And Jill had, had done a deal with a team in Canada that he'd been involved with previously. And, you know, we went into that year in 76 thinking we were going to have a great year and, and it was a disastrous year. Mm -hmm. And to the point right to the point where uh, after the last race, I said, the hell with it. I'm, I'm done. I'm going to go get a real job. I'm not going to waste my life, you know, chasing this dream. Yeah. Uh, probably a little immature, frankly, but, uh, but it was so crushing having been super competitive with Jill the previous year, maybe more so than he versus me. And yet in 76, he had the, an amazing year. And that really is what, you know, gave him the springboard to, to Formula One. Yeah. You know, luckily six months later or so, my girlfriend at the time and, and my mechanic, told me you're going to regret it if you don't continue and at that time i also got an offer to drive for another team in atlantic and jim morgan mm -hmm. uh who was a, a bond trader in on wall street and and so i said well okay yeah it sounded better than that still sounded better than working a nine to five you know all the yeah, time behind your desk and off, sure. we, and off we went and that year 77 i finished second to jill in the championship I went to Australia, I was in New Zealand to race in winter of 78, and things started to perk up again. Yeah. I ran Formula 3 in Europe. I was supposed to run, uh, I was supposed to get a ride in Formula 1 in 79 full-time. I did two Grand Prix in 78, U.S. and Canadian. Mm -hmm. Whatever happened, politics, whatever, 79, I had to go borrow $100,000, which is a lot of money in those days. And to get a ride in, uh, in Formula 2 in Europe, I borrowed $100,000 from four people. Wow. And, uh, and I, I paid him back, uh, eventually. And halfway through 79 in Europe in front of two, I got a call from a guy in California, a guy named Herb Kaplan, who ran a Can-Am team. George Fulmer had been his driver. Uh, George had been hurt the previous year and was having physical difficulties, apparently. And they asked me to take over, which we did. Mm -hmm. And I never qualified off the front row, you know, one at Laguna Seca and five, finished fifth in the championship and I did half the, half the series. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you know, now all of a sudden my star is ascendant again. Everybody <laughs> wants Bobby <laughs> yeah. Rahal. Well, you know, a year later, uh, a year later, uh, it was another bad year because we didn't have the right equipment. 
and nobody wants Bobby Rail. Uh-huh. At, the end, at the end of seventy nine, at the end of seventy nine, both Carl Haas and Paul Newman, who had his own team at that time, had offered me rides, and I had made a personal commitment to the fellow who, who got me there, this guy Herb Kaplan. We didn't have a contract. I gave him my, I shook his hand, gave him my word, yeah. and uh, yeah. that unfortunately bit me because we did not have a competitive car the next year, and. Again, you go from being, as we say, the flavor of the month, you know, everybody loves you, everybody wants you, to a month later, nobody wants you. Nobody uh, wants you. Gosh. But, but, I th- I, but I think the telling, the telling kind of thread throughout my early career is I had met Jim Truman uh, racing SECA. Jim Truman was a guy, very, just an absolutely amazing man, who had started the Red Roofin Hotel chain. You know, I went to college near Columbus, Ohio. He lived in Columbus. Uh, we would race. Uh, he was in a different class, but we were always in the different, in the same races mm-hmm. in SECA. So we got to know each other. And in 1981, my career was basically pretty much over, or, or very, very close to being over. Mm-hmm. The offers, you know, I, I took over for Al Unser Senior in the Newman, in the Paul Newman's Can-Am team in the middle of uh, the season in '81. Mm-hmm. Of course, we'd won Daytona that year, which was great. But nobody was knocking on my door. I'd sent letters to Roger Penske and Pat Patrick about, hey, let me drive the road courses for you. And he was like, you know, don't call us, we'll call you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, which I showed Roger that letter some years later. <laughs> but anyway, uh, in any event, you know, my career was probably pretty much pretty close to being over yeah. at the end of wow. 1981. And Jim, and Jim Truman, who had been this presence in my career from – whether it was financially or otherwise, or just as a friend, uh, from 73, 74 on, came to me one day and said, if you're smart, you're going to say yes to everything I say. <laughs> okay. And of course, I, of course, I knew him, right? So yeah. I, I had no problem saying yes to anything he suggested. And he said, I want to go into car racing. I want to start a team. I want you to help put the pieces together. You know, you've got to find the people to buy the engines and the cars. I'll do everything else. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it took no time for me to say, you know, <laughs> yes, say, yes, let's go. <laughs> of course. And, and, it was, and it was from that that we started True Sports and, and all the success and we ever had later on came from that. From that wow. wow. So that, yeah, that's kind of a long winded answer to your question. But every driver has times when, you know, and, and more than once where it's, days are good and then days are bad. Right. And you, when days get bad, you've got to have that unbiting faith in yourself and that commitment and that level of perseverance that, you know, if this is something you really want to do and you think you can do it, you cannot let the bad days uh, overwhelm you. Exactly. And I tell her that to me. It's not a simple, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. No. And, you know, every, every fall you're looking for money. How are you going to get to the next? I mean, so few drivers had their way paved the sponsorship from the day they started. Most of them are, you know, fighting and scratching and scrabbling through the dirt, looking for anything, trying to get to the next ride. Yeah. And you just have to have that commitment to do that uh, in order to succeed. Because if you're not willing to do that, if you're not, if you can't overcome the, the black days, the bleak days, yeah. then there's no way in hell you're going to make it. Yeah. You know, I've heard this, I've had dozens of racers here on Cars, yeah, and the words every single one of them has said is never, ever, ever give up. You can't. You just no. can't. And one even said that when he decided to go racing, his dad said, what's your plan B? And he said, 
I don't have a plan B because I'm going to make it no matter what. If I have a plan B, I've already given up. So, uh, yeah, you've said the same thing. So thanks for sharing all those stories. Oh, my gosh, what a roller coaster ride. Well, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call the career aha moment when those headlights come on and kind of illuminate a way for a new path for you in your business and your career. Can you walk us through one of those great aha moments? You know, for me, you know, you, you know, you're never going to race forever, right? I mean, this is an age. It's not necessarily a written age limitation because some people are more competitive than others at varying ages. But sure. you know, you're not going to do it forever. So it's like, okay, what are you going to do the rest of your life? Mm-hmm. And you know, and as you say, you just mentioned, you know, you don't have a plan B, but you have to be prepared to have a plan B. You have to be, you know, I had a college education. You kind of learn a lot of marketing, yep. you know, when you're, oh, yeah. When you're out there selling, when, when you're out there selling yourself, yes. Um, so you you have to be prepared. But you know, I don't know if there's any one single moment other than when I you know knew. Of course, I had never even given a second's thought to owning a team. Mm. You know, to me, I was going to be a race car driver, and that's it. Yeah. And whatever money I'd make, I'd go invest it in something else. And of course, that's what we did with our automobile. Our automobile, you know. Um, business you know 1987 i was 86 i was with the honda people i'd expressed my desire to get into the automobile business mm-hmm. uh, specifically with them and it took three years but we got there and you know and today 29 years later or 28 years later so we're, we're a company of of uh, 16 different dealerships and wow very very successful and what have you and, and I did that because, as I said, I, I knew I wasn't going to race forever. So what am I going to do this, 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 the rest of my life? And, sure. And it, it's still around cars. Yeah. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. Know, so it's 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 still allowed me to exercise that passion. Yeah. For me, it was uh, it was taking advantage of the success that I had in in racing and parlaying that into the success that I was going to have later in life. Fantastic. Well, you've won so many different races, championships, and uh, not only in your own racing career, but now with your team. But is there one proudest career moment you could share with us that really stands out for you? Well, you know, I mean, I think naturally some people would say Indy, and and that was a a special moment for sure. It changes your life forever. Mm -hmm. I'm sure as you know, my team owner, my friend Jim Truman, and I died 10 days after we won the race. Yeah, uh, an yeah. amazing story. But I really think, for me, the the year that I'm probably most proud of was my, the 92 year, which was the first year that I was an owner-driver. I co-owned the team. Uh-huh. I saw it Carl Hogan from St. Louis. Yeah. You know, everybody said, oh, you can't do that. You know, the day, those days are long gone. You can't be an owner and a driver. You know, you'll never drive hard enough because you'll be worried about if I crash, what's it going to cost? And <laughs> yes. Like that. Yeah. And of course, I had I had great people working, you know, with the other team uh, to to ensure our success, but to win the championship to really kind of counter the naysayers was you know there's nothing more satisfying than than taking all the naysayers and tell you why you can't do something and I'm doing it. <laughs> yes. And uh, <laughs> and that was my you know that 92 year that's my third championship in any car racing that probably was. Yeah, that I'm most proud of. Yeah, I can. Oh, can only imagine. Well, let's have a little fun again and go back in time. I would love for you to share your first really special car. And if you want to translate this into the first really special race car you set in and, and ran, that would be good too. But take us back in time to that first really special vehicle. 
Well, you know, I think my, again, you know, my dad had Porsches and stuff like that when I was growing up. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, of course, my needs, desires, uh, ability to buy uh, were considerably less than a, than a Porsche. Uh, I had a, but I had a, a 71 Volkswagen convertible. That's what I went off to college in. But the car that I really loved, that really kind of, uh, you know, was the ultimate. And I frankly, I, and to this day, I have, I have the same car. It's not the same car, but it's one just like it. It's uh-huh. a 72 BMW 2002 TII. Oh, cool. We used to have rallies and we used to race around the back roads of Ohio, which were great roads, you know, smooth and up and down, you know, farm roads, country roads. Some people will claim that that's why I learned how to race. Oh, <laughs> so, ah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, that was a classic car. Now, you know, my, of course, it, it was still pretty utilitarian, but, right. but it was an all, it was a fabulous car. Uh, I guess from a racing standpoint, you know, when I first started racing, uh, I raced, my dad had a Lotus 47, which was the racing version uh, of the Lotus Europa. Yeah. And it was built in 1967. And it had, it looked like a Lotus Europa, but it had, Formula Two suspension had a twin cam Ford twin cam engine in it, a Hewlett gearbox, cool. kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I went through 1973 driving that car, and of course I thought, you know, that was that was a great car. Obviously, you know, it's a lot faster than anything I'd ever driven. Yeah. And the next year we bought a Lola sports racing car, and I'll never forget the first time I pulled out of the pits, the steering wheel didn't shake. Now I thought <laughs> all race cars, all race car steering wheel shake. <laughs> as it did in the Lotus. So all of a sudden, it was, a, and of course, that car was, what, five, six years younger than the, than the Lotus, and a lot had gone on in those six years. So uh, that was probably the aha moment that the race was like, wow, oh, okay, yeah. this is what a race car is supposed to feel like. It can and, feel uh, good. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, exactly. How about uh, seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've owned throughout your life oh, that you God. let go? I I know, there's probably a few of them, but let's just, let's just focus no, on one. God. No, you don't want to go there. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to go there because I can tell you if I kept them all, I'd be a lot, I'm a much richer man today. Um, <laughs> probably the biggest, uh, you know, when I when I retired from racing in '98, I thought, okay, I'm going to start collecting cars uh-huh. because I don't, you know, again, I'd always been, you know, I'm, I'm a car guy, yeah. and uh, so the first car I bought was a, a 300 S Health Rolling Mercedes. Oh, nice, yeah. And yeah, very, very nice car. Uh, no one near as expensive today or then as they are today. Oh, gosh, yeah. But then I, I, I had to, we have a saying in the, in the Ray Hall family called the fresh rattle syndrome. You know, like a baby, <laughs> you give him a rattle and he shakes it for a while and then he throws it out of the pram and he needs a different <laughs> rattle, right? Yes. So I traded that, uh, I sold that and I bought a Ford GT, a real Ford GT. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And yeah, and it was the FX, uh, Essex wire, chassis 1026, oh. finished third overall at Sebring in 66 with uh, Peter Revson and Skip Scott. Oh, wow. Yeah, one of class. It was first in his class. Yeah. And I drove it in a few races at Daytona, and it was just a, an amazing car. I loved it. Probably if I if I have any regrets, and there's a, I have a lot of regrets for a lot of the cars that I've owned and sold over the years, but probably selling the GT40 would have would be the, the biggest regret I've had. Yeah. I have. 
Yeah. Uh, but oh I've goodness. had other regrets that are damn close to that. <laughs> I have a 250 short wheelbase Ferrari. Oh. Uh, unbelievable car. Yeah. Not Porsche 917. Yeah, I had a lot of different Porsches over the years. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't really a collector. I was a guy who would go out and use them and, okay, what's the next best thing? Right. Yeah, so, a new uh, rattle. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, a new rattle. Uh, uh, but uh, in any event, yeah, I can look back in my life and say, if only. Well... Some fun memories. At least you got to spend some time in the driver's seats of those cars and driving them somewhat competitively with pretty rare. Yeah, and that was it, a lot. You know, the the 917 Porsche that I had, it, um, you know, of course, I'd grown up in uh, 17, 18. Yeah, watching 70, those cars. 70, 71, Sebring, Watkins Glen. I mean, that was the heyday of sports car racing. Like, yeah. I think so. And you had guys like Sifford and Rodriguez and Redmond and Jackie Oliver and Andretti X. Yeah. You name it, and these Ferraris and Porsches, and you know, you kind of always wonder, God, what was that like? And uh, yeah, so I had the 917, and I took it to Le Mans for the first Le Mans historic race in, in 2001. Here I'm going down the Molson Strait, uh, or actually, the, the more so the run from uh, Molson Corner to Indianapolis. And that is no different today than it was in 1970. Oh. And uh, you know, you didn't have to squint very much to think it was 1970. Here you're going. 200 miles an hour in this unbelievable race car yeah. on this section of racetrack uh, that the greats drove on. So, oh, wow. you know, for me, it was about, it was about experiencing what those cars were like. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and I can say that uh, it's a, it, it, they were, it was a thrill to experience these great circuits like Le Mans and cars that I had dreamed of driving some 45, 50 years ago. Wow. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'd love to talk just briefly here about today. What are you guys doing with uh, team, uh, your current team? What has you excited and fired up? You know, we've kind of at the end of the season here. We're recording this in, in uh, late November of 2016. But looking ahead for your racing team and your son, Graham, and the rest of your team members, what has you really excited and fired up for next year? Well, I mean, I think on the IndyCar side, Graham, you know, we've got two top fives in the championship the last two years. Mm-hmm. We've won four races in the last two years. We've been very, very competitive uh, as a single car team against, you know, against Penske, against Andretti, uh, uh, Ganassi. We've been the leading Honda team for the last several years. I mean, that's, that's exciting. And, and I think for us, we have a great team. We have great people on our team. And, and there's a real sense of, of oneness, a real sense of everybody's ego is in check and, and we have good, we have great engineering. They all work well together. You know, Graham is, 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 is showing what I always felt he could do, you know, given the right equipment and the right environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we create a great environment, uh, I think, for the team, for him. And so, I, you know, it just makes you excited to go into the next year thinking it's going to be better again next year. Yeah. And I see no reason why it, it won't be. You know, on the BMW side, we've gone through our beginning year with the M6. Like any new car, you have, you have, um, you know, teething, you know, issues over the, t- over time. Sure. But the car showed itself to be competitive. Yeah. Uh, I, I, numerous occasions. And so now six months later, with more time to improve things, I think we can be even more competitive in, in 17. So I think we're pretty excited about, uh, about what the future holds. I mean, there's no question it's going to take a lot of hard work. Nothing comes easy, as you know. And, <laughs> Not in and, racing, uh, no. It, it, <laughs> no, and it doesn't take much to have a bad year. You know, you can be, you know, very competitive, but not have some mechanical reliability, and and 
you end up looking you know, P15 instead of P4. Yeah. Uh, but I think we I think we've got great people in place who work very well together, and and that just gives me a lot of. Uh, uh, a lot of optimism uh, for the upcoming year. Yeah, well, it should. Uh, congratulations for your team's past successes, and we're looking forward to uh, following everything that you guys do in 2017. Wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Bobby. It's kind of a funny question. Mm-hmm. If you were a car, if Bobby Rahal was a car, what kind of car would he be and why? Oh, well, I think that would depend on what age I was. <laughs> well, let's talk about today. <laughs> today. Yeah, um, today. Today, you know, it's like, it's like somebody said, if you were going to do the, you know, the Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea race. Uh-huh. And I said, I would probably do it in like a seven, big, a big BMW or Mercedes that goes 160 miles an hour, but, you know, it's quiet. You know, you can hear the radio. <laughs> comfortable. Comfortable. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, a 160 mile an hour Barker lounger. <laughs> uh, now, if you'd asked me that question 10, 20 years ago, I'd probably say, well, I'd like to do a 488 Ferrari, right? Yeah. Or something like that. Right. But I mean, I'm an old man now, so I'm looking at, I want the performance, <laughs> but I want the comfort too. Yeah, we all do. Well, that's a good answer. I like that. Well, Bobby, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Everyone who knows me knows I'm really picky when it comes to my cars and keeping them looking new. I'm a huge fan of Covercraft floor mats. I've protected my vehicle with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft floor mats. They will protect your vehicle's factory carpets from daily abuse, weather, pets, children, weekend adventures, and those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and stylish way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft floor mats come in a wide variety of styles, materials, and configurations, all designed for maximum protection. In addition to Premier Plush and Berber Custom Floor Mats, you'll also find cargo liners, canine cargo area liners, dash covers, and sunscreens. Enhance your vehicle's looks while protecting the factory finishes with easy-to-install and easy-to-clean floor mats. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. 
Okay, Bobby, we are back and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive or racing advice you've ever received? I said, don't crash. (laughs) Don't crash. (laughs) And who told you that? Oh, I can't remember. It happened early. Early, yeah, early on. Probably your dad. Probably my my father. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say, probably your dad. That sounds like something a dad would say. Now, how about a personal habit? Is Do you have a personal habit that you believe has helped contribute to your success? Well, I, 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 don't, know if, I don't know if work ethic is a habit, but oh, yeah. I think my work ethic. Yeah, it yeah. is, definitely. Work ethic, hard work ethic. Yep. Now, how about a resource? I know there's lots of great resources out there, but is there one in particular that you uh, would like to share with the listeners? Oh, you know, I've really kind of relied uh, on myself in a lot of respects over the years. I mean, certainly there are people that I, I respect. But I don't very often ask for an opinion because I just think that, you know, it's up to me to form my own opinion. Mm-hmm. So, But I, I think that there are people that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, of course, Jim Truman was a, a, a huge resource for me. Mm. Uh, Scott Remke, who was my right-hand man at racing for many years until he passed away a few years, years ago, was very much a resource for me. So there okay. were... There are people that I um, that I uh, would you know would look to advice for. Absolutely. Sure. Now, how about a book? Is there a book you've read recently? It could be a car book, could be a business book, could be a self motivational book of some kind. A book that you could share. I have one book that I read recently uh, called uh, Patton: uh, Blood, Guts, and Prayer. Ah, uh, yes. Which was uh, about George Patton. Yeah. Uh, who I had a lot of uh, have. You know, obviously never met the man, but, uh, but, uh, you know, he was kind of a bigger in life character. Who, oh, yeah. Uh, who's, by power of personality, if nothing else, was a, a great general. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, so I, I kind of enjoyed it like that. Sounds great. Well, listeners, I'll remind you, you can find links to all these great resources on Bobby's show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type Bobby or Bobby Rahal in the search bar and that page will pop right up. All right, Bobby, we're up to the checkered flag. You know what that means? You've seen a lot of those. <laughs> this last question can be a bit of a doozy, though. If you could have only one collector car, or I'll include vintage race car in this collection in your garage, but only one, but the holidays are coming. I'm feeling really generous, so I will buy you any one <laughs> car you want. What would it be? And the more important part of this question has to do with why. Well, I would have a... Uh, uh a 250 short wheelbase competition model, uh, Ferrari. Yeah. Uh, because not only is it a great street car, but it's a great race car. And forgetting the fact that, or not forgetting the fact that it is just a beautiful yeah. car. The, the body, Scagnetti, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous car. I owned one for a while. I raced it. It was a fabulous car to race. And, uh, and yet you can drive it down the, down the highway at the same yeah. time. So uh, 250 show real base for RAVB at 1961. Thank you very much. I can't wait for it to show up. You're welcome. Just let me know where to ship that to, uh, which facility of yours. <laughs> I'll, I'll take care of that real quick. You know, you picked one that okay. is close to my heart too. I have loved those forever. And I got the uh, yeah. extreme privilege of driving on once. I was at the Cavalino event probably 10, 12 years mm-hmm. ago, ran into a guy who was a friend of a friend of mine. He had one. I, I was just begging for a ride, and he actually said, I don't give people rides in my car. And I kind of thought, well, that's kind of rude. He goes, but I let people drive it, and he threw me the keys, and he let me drive oh, that. Boy. Yeah, he let me drive that thing. And later that day, I got to drive a second one. It was like 
the heavens were looking down on me that day. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, never got to race one like you did. That would be something special, but, uh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. 250 SWB. Well, Bobby, you yeah. have taken me on an awesome ride today. I've enjoyed talking with you so thank much. You. You're welcome. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you rip off down the racetrack in that 61 250 SWB? <laughs> uh, the only, uh, keep the flame, keep the flame alive, right? It's yeah. all about cars. You got to keep that passion going. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and today's an amazing time in the automobile industry. So, oh, uh, yeah. It's a good time to be alive. Yeah, absolutely. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you and learn more about what you and your team are doing these days? Well, uh, on the race team, it's www.rayhall.com. Okay. And on our dealerships, it's www.bobbyrayhall.com. There you go. So, uh, you can get, you can get, uh, you can get at me uh, any number of ways through those two sites. Awesome. Great. Well, again, listeners, you'll find links to these sites on Bobby Shono's page at carsyad.com. Go there, check out what he's doing, follow what he's doing with his racing. Of course, everybody listening knows who you are and knows who about, about your team and the success, but we do wish you the best success in 2017. Thank you again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your incredible journey through life with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!